Music composition is when you add the emotion to the scenes. Uh, sometimes just the, the dialogue or the scene itself is not enough to drive that emotion. And that's when you add those little two sad notes and let them linger through the scene. It gives you that little like emotion and you feel like connected with the scene. Welcome back to Creative How, the podcast for curious creatives. Sean, have you ever really listened to what's happening on the screen when you're watching a movie? I Sean, don't don't just answer me. I want you to look at my face seriously. When you're watching a movie, have you ever really just listened to what's going on on the screen? Sadly, no. And if I haven't, then I'm not doing our guest justice. We have Roger Lima, White Noise Lab, who's a sound designer. A master sound designer. And he's responsible for creating all those sounds and all your favorite shows, movies, and commercials. He's going to give us a peek behind the curtain. Enjoy. Roger, hey man, welcome. Thanks guys. Uh, it's a pleasure. <laughs> Thanks for coming. So... Roger, you're uh, a creative director, a sound designer, a music composer, um, all kinds of things. But if you could just give us a summary of your your career, because it's so diverse. You know, I had no clue what I was going to do when I started. I didn't even know that I started when I started. And uh, right now, I don't know what I'm doing still, but I'm just like going with the flow. You know, uh, I think that's why it's still fun. Cause I didn't, I never had like that set goal of like, I'm going to do this and I'm going to be this forever. And, uh, I don't know, that kept me a little bit more flexible and to try to fill the gaps on things that I thought it was cool and, and try things. Uh, and here I am, you know, uh, still working with things that I like, but in a capacity that I had no clue that I would be doing in the past, you know. But music's always been sort of part of your life, right? Um, I, I seem to recall seeing some very long haired pictures of you, uh, back in the day in your thrash metal days. Tell us a little bit about that. How did you, uh, you know, end up, it seems like a natural progression to me, the, the metal bands to what you're doing now. And you even get to use that in your day to day. And you've gotten some internet notoriety for your recreations of like, say, the Game of Thrones theme song and things like that. So tell us a little about that. It seems like that progression is working. Yeah, um, I started playing when I was like around 13. Uh, I found like a, a acoustic guitar around and started playing uh, along music that I liked. Uh, I never went to school to learn guitar. And uh, I just kept on like, playing every day for hours and hours to the point that when I was around 16, uh, I told my mom that I was going to quit school. And uh, I did. I quit. And then after that, I started playing and uh, going to concerts and meeting people and uh, setting up auditions. And uh, I found a few bands and started playing guitars and bands and started touring the country a little bit with a few bands. And then after that, I realized that that is not for me either. Why not? I don't like touring. I don't like being, I don't like being in a different city every day. It's so taxing and uh, you lose a lot of, 
a lot of your roots along the time. Hmm. You know, you don't have like that, that like, you don't have freedom either because you just go and play one day and then the next day you're in the bus traveling. It's a schedule, right? Yeah, it's very scheduled and it's worse than being in the office in my opinion. Um, I love playing live, but I don't like like this touring, this regiment schedule and uh, yeah, no margin for error and uh, doesn't matter what is happening, you still have to play. And uh, that was the start of it. So, so what happened after that? Because I, f- I feel like for anybody who's been to White Noise Lab website or, or seen your work, they can see that you did a whole lot of other things, you know, even video editing, stuff like that. So you realize you don't necessarily love the, the rock and roll lifestyle. What, what then? Uh, yeah, I, I mean, I like the lifestyle. Uh, I just didn't like the, <laughs> the travel. The travel. The, <laughs> it, it's like if it was like one show every month, that would be great. But it's unfortunately people have to make money on touring. Uh, right. But then I quit the band. Uh, by that time, I was already uh, teaching guitar in a school, which is kind of odd because I didn't know how to read music or anything like that. Um, but people just wanted to learn what they wanted to learn. You know, sometimes someone just want to learn Hotel California, and that's it for them. That's their goal, and I think that's wonderful. You don't have to teach them a bunch of a bullshit of like, oh, you need to read chords and this and this to play. Why do you want to play? Get right to it. Yeah. That's good advice. I'm going to take that back because there's a few songs I just want to play and, and I'll be done with yeah. it. Scratch that. And age, they right? should. Yeah, of course. And sometimes that is, that, that is it. They learn and they go on with their lives. But sometimes people learn and they want more and they want more and they find that it is what they like. And if they find a need to, explore the subject more and to learn more about it, they'll learn more about it, you know? Right. So as far as you go, then you're, you know, you're, you're doing this. What made you sort of find or motivate you to get in front of the computer and start, you know, working with mixing and sound design and and really just visual storytelling from a sound standpoint? Well, back in the day, I started messing with like four tracks still on the tape, cassette tapes. Uh, because I would record ideas and then program my own drums. So also to bring some like riffs that I could show the students and they could jam along with some scales that I would teach them. Uh, and that was very effective. And I started like finding interest on composing then. Uh, but I was very metal back in the day. I had no clue about the TV world and anything like that. But then I got bored as well, doing that as well. And uh, I didn't know any English at the time. And I decided to come to the U.S. and uh, to learn English, basically. And uh, that's when it, it all started, you know. And I, I was disappointed a little bit with some songs that I used to like back in the day when I, when I heard the lyrics in English and I could understand them. Oh, man, what a letdown. Yeah, it was sometimes okay. I don't, kind of really don't like this. <laughs> what was that turning point then? I mean, what 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 you know got you into say, hey, I can put my music uh, to pictures and or or even just make the noises and and really score these things. And because music drives a lot of emotion, at least for me as a creative director, it it that's that final polish where it all snaps in. And I'm sure you're the same way, Jed. Like it can just take it to from a I would say like a six to a 10 if it's done right. 
So what, what made you discover that, Hey, I can really move people with, you know, this thing I have an aptitude for. Yeah. Um, and I can get money <laughs> basically doing this as a living. Well, skipping forward a little bit. Uh, so I was in San Francisco Bay area for a little bit and, uh, I started applying for, for some internships there and I got an internship in a news, uh, station there called the, uh, Cron four. And, uh, I was just like doing ingesting tapes, footage and that kind of stuff. And then I was just watching people doing uh, like editing. And uh, I just realized how much work it takes and they have to be searching for music all the time. And sometimes they pick stuff just for the sake of picking something because they're in a hurry. And uh, I was like, maybe one day I can do my own videos with my own music. And uh, after that internship, I got a job uh, with the city. Uh, it was a local government job doing video editing and doing technical direction on city council meetings. I would like control robot cameras to the switches and handle the audio and all that kind of stuff. Uh, but also gave me the opportunity to, to do video editing with like little TV shows that we had in the city. And for mm -hmm. those, I decided to, instead of, you know, using library music, I, I decided to take and, and on my own and uh, create the, my own music for those. And because then I had an idea what I wanted to use for it, to edit those little videos. So it was an int interesting way to, to start. Do you remember an early project that was uh, like specifically exciting for you? You know, like the thing, because at some point you switched from video to sound and um, even though you could do both, you know? Yeah. Um, after, well, this... There was nothing exciting about that job other than learning, you know. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I kept thinking, like, um, maybe one day I can do something better. I can use the skills and uh, apply to something better. Uh, and then all of a sudden, I got bored in, in the Bay Area. I was there for, at this point, around nine years. And uh, I just decided to move out of California. So I moved to North Carolina. I got a job in a production company there. And uh, I was there for two years. I started as a video editor and light, you know, after effects kind of thing. I was doing a little bit of motion design as well, but uh, I'm not good at it. So I was like, okay, I need to start doing music again. And I was baffled because they did good work, but the audio was terrible because the editors would do the audio, but they would not care about uh the mixing and the levels, uh, also the transitions of things. So like you said, the videos were good, but they sounded like shit. So, right. So you're sitting there, you're sitting there going, look, I could do this better. Uh, you got, it, was it really obvious to you what was happening and, and you know, the different things that you would tweak on your own, if you were just given the chance. Whenever I had the chance to, to do the audio, uh, people would notice the difference right away because I was paying attention to those things and, like very little things that would do the little details that makes a huge difference in the final product, you know? Um, so they transitioned me to be just the audio person there. And that was good. Uh, it kept me really busy and they saved a lot of money from licensing music. They realized, okay, we use this guy to compose all the music. It's ours and we don't have to pay for licensing this year, you know? Good deal for them, terrible deal for me. But... Actually, I'm very, uh, you know, grateful that I went through that because um, it made me realize how much value I could have on my own as well. 
yeah, I came to the point that I was like, okay, uh, I want to make my own stuff. What was that first client on your own, that independent client that you had? Okay, so right after I, I decided to go on my own, I had no clue how to get started. So I did a little research and I found some, like, uh, some designers and composers that I liked. And uh, I, was, I started liking doing uh, advertising because they were short form and I could do more in less time instead of like doing a short movie per se. It take me two or three months in one project and I get bored really quickly with that stuff. It sounds like that's a trending topic or <laughs> underlying theme in all of these endeavors. Yeah, it feels like, I don't know, I just need to be uncomfortable uh, most of the time because then it, it, I don't take it for granted, you know, and whenever it's uncomfortable, I just want to keep pushing and learning something new. Uh, I don't need to learn things that I don't want to learn just for the sake of knowing and telling people, yeah, I know how to do that shit. I, I think that's a great trait to have. I think we're noticing a lot of the folks that we interview have that same sort of drive or, or just anxiousness that keeps them going and, and wanting to try new, but they're not afraid to be in uncomfortable situations. Otherwise they don't feel like they're growing. It's very entrepreneurial, I think is what we're kind of seeing. It's, it can be very stressful and scary, but I, you guys know me a little bit. I like stressful and scary situations <laughs> a little bit too much. We also know that you don't sleep. Yeah, I sleep when I can. <laughs> I sleep when I'm tired. I don't have, I don't like the notion of like, okay, it's 10 o'clock, I have to go to bed. And then I go to bed and I wait un until I fall asleep. I like the notion that, okay, I'm tired. And then I lie down and I sleep. Well, it's working for you. It works for you. And, and we benefit from that because I know there's been more than a number of projects when we've, uh, We've come at you pretty late. One person in particular, we shall not name, uh, producer <laughs> Under Armour, um, as notorious for, for contacting you. We into the hours and lo and behold, yeah. you're there. But it, it works. You come out, you know, it's great stuff. Uh, and we appreciate it. That's crazy. So, Roger, can you talk about the difference between sound design and music composition? I think we're familiar with it, but just, just so everyone knows, there's a pretty big difference. Yeah. Uh, sound design. Okay. So I think the easiest way that I found to explain it to people is you aid in the soundscape of the scene. Uh, let's say you see people filming something on the streets uh, and then they see that scene and, and the movie screens and everything sounds perfect, but Little do they know that all of that is post-production. Like, because in the real world, you hear sirens and you hear crazy people screaming. And often the dialogues are the, the microphones, they pick up everything around them. Um, so you have to pretty much recreate the whole scene just with post-production sound. So sound design would be like picking the right ambient sound to put in the background. It's like the canvas for everything. And then you start like adding the little details, like uh, certain cars pass by that you want, you want to emphasize that is passing by. Uh, and then you've got to pay attention. Okay. What kind of cars that is, this uh, a four cylinder engine. Is it, is it an eight cylinder engine? Uh, is it like going left to right? So the engine is in the front and then you hear a little bit of the exhaust. Uh, and then all these little details like birds and, uh, the things that make the scene feel as natural as possible. And people don't even realize it is fake. Like, I feel like whenever people notice, that's when you're doing something wrong in this case. Right, yeah. that makes sense. 
Yeah. But, uh, and then music composition is when you add the emotion to the scenes, I think. Uh, sometimes just the, the dialogue or, or the scene itself is not enough to drive that emotion. And that's when you add those little two sad notes and let them linger through the scene. It gives you that little like uh, uh, emotion. Then you feel like connected with the scene. It kind of, it kind of like uh, ties everything together. Yeah, it's really clear. Um, I feel like, you know, I recently looked at your site again just to refresh the long list of jobs that, that you've done and you've worked on, you've worked for brands, you've worked for TV shows, movies, um, all kinds of, of video work. And just wondering, you know, what are the differences between, you know, working on a TV show versus a brand and, and what are, what would you favor? What do you like doing best? I love doing brands because brands are always evolving. The, most brands are always evolving. Um, they are pushing and, they realize now that they're making little movies, you know, uh, doesn't matter if it is animation, 3D or uh, live action, but it's fast, but it's got to be effective. And you got to tell a lot of story in a short period of time. And also I like it because it's fast moving and I like the short deadline. So it gets me to the point that I cannot second guess myself, you know. So I'm like, I got to do this shit. I got to just do it and get over my head that if it is not good, they're going to tell me and I'll try it again. But if it is good, it is good. You know, people not going to say anything when it's good, which is most mostly the case. <laughs> I just don't hear anything. And then Sorry before I know, the thing is already on TV and airing. <laughs> <laughs> we should communicate better. We got it. <laughs> no, but it, that is part, part of the course, you know, like I know. And it's not stressful to me. The people that are working with me, I know they have a amount of stress on top of them. And uh, I can only, I, I cannot even imagine like how the stress when you're working in an agency and a lot of people around you put in a lot of pressure. And then you release that pressure in, in some way sometimes to other people that are working with you. Not in a bad way, but just like, uh, you know, like we were doing everything so quickly that sometimes we we don't communicate and I do the same thing. It's just natural, you know, I will say you are, you are somewhat more, actually a lot more accessible than most folks in your field. I don't think we have the same sort of project process uh, with other sound designers that we do you. you, you, you know, we've worked with you so long. I think you have made it to our benefit, how accessible you are. Uh, and I don't know that everybody's like that. And I got to believe that, that you're probably like that with a lot of your, your clients and it's probably, yeah, it's great sound design, but there's probably also an added element of just your bedside manner, quote unquote, of how you go about the process and interface with, with the creatives. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. Um, cause I'm working with my friends and, uh, you know, I'll never want to say, no to my friends and uh, I always want to be there to help. That's what it is. And uh, that's why it gets personal, not because of the work, but it's just because of, uh, I hate disappointing people. And uh, I just want to be able to please people and to make sure they're, they're comfortable. And that's the best because sometimes when they're comfortable, they just let me go. And uh, I just go on the uh, free flowing, deliver the job and, don't hear anything and the job is airing the next day. So sometimes it's just a uh, faster that way, you know, when you trust. 
Right. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. So what let's let's talk about some maybe some specific projects like uh what's the most fun you've had on a project that you can recall? The most fun. Uh, So when I first started, uh, I obviously didn't have a portfolio. I didn't want to use the stuff that I did for my best jobs because it wasn't good enough to show. Uh, At least, I mean, it was, it was good that I did it, but not good enough for me to get newer clients and bigger clients. Uh, So I started doing like, stuff on my own. So I, I created this video, uh, that I made a, uh, soundtrack, a music track with my bikes, my, just the sounds on my bike. And, uh, I mean, it was a hustle and I bought a camera and then I sat in on a tripod and I was writing some scenes. I, I was just like, maybe this sound is cool. This sound is cool. And then I brought it out to my place, uh, and got the bike set up with microphones and I started banging on parts of the bike. Uh, and I remember I made a baseline with like a, a cardboard a box from Amazon touching the wheel spinning. And then it created like the base, distorted baseline for that. Uh, and then that kind of got a little traction uh, back in the, this was like 10 years ago, nine years ago. Uh, and then some sites like Wired Magazine and other sites, Core 77, design driven sites start posting that. Um, and then all of a sudden I got a call from, uh, Kia, uh, motors. And, uh, I thought it was a joke. There was like, yeah, we saw your thing. We, we want to bring you to LA to work on a commercial with us. And, uh, I was like, yeah, right. And then I kind of dismissed it. Uh, but then they called again and then they sent me an email. There's like, yeah, no, we're serious. We want to bring you in and, uh, do this thing. And, uh, I was already in San Diego at this time. And they were like, but first uh, we need you to sample the sounds of the car. So we're sending a car from Korea to your house in San Diego. That sounds awesome. Yeah. And I was like, okay. I was really not really understanding that that was going to happen. Then all of a sudden uh, there was a delivery and it's a freaking car uh, coming out of a truck. And uh, it's a, it's a, the Korea, uh, the Kia Sorento. It was a SUV, the new SUV they were putting out at the time. And it was like the Korea version. So it's like kilometers and it's not street legal here in the US. And uh, yeah, brand new and like not even released in the US yet. I, they're crazy. They just dropped that thing at my door. And I, luckily I had a garage. So I put the thing in the garage. Uh, and then I didn't know what I was doing. I just started recording every single sound of the car. And uh, I sampled everything and uh, I started like creating some ideas for a a track. And then uh, a week later, uh, they got the car back and and they got me to L.A. And then I was in L.A. for two weeks with them uh, working on that commercial uh, because they wanted me to help direct the actors. Because the way that like you hit the car to get certain sounds and where I got those sounds because they wanted keep as authentic as possible. And, uh, the, the director was wonderful. This, uh, Korean guy, uh, like much older than me, he barely spoke any English, but we got along very well. Like, uh, yeah, it was a wonderful job, like, uh, and fun and stressful, but yeah, it was like a really good experience. Yeah. Uh, I was, uh, I was shocked that that even happened, but I said, yes. So, I'll say yes first and I'll figure it out later. Yep, That's the way to go. That, yep. 
What about, um, I don't want to say worst job or anything like that, but what about, you know, maybe the, one of your bigger challenges, like toughest jobs that you faced? Probably scoring movies. Uh, uh, I scored a couple of movies in Brazil and, uh, it's way more than I bargained for. Uh, especially when directors are very specific with notes, like they want what they want. And at that point, it was just like me pushing the buttons for them. Uh, they didn't trust me with my uh, creative uh, knowledge that I could add anything. So uh, at that point, it start, stops being fun. I'm just doing something because I have to. You know? Yeah, so hopefully, hopefully now you're savvy enough that you can kind of go into those situations with your eyes wide open the next time a, a feature comes around. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I'm not opposed to working on features, but uh, I like the short format stuff much better. It seems like that might be the trend. Yeah. Shorter and shorter and shorter. Yeah, I mean, you know? I, I would think features are few and far between. If anything, it's kind of in between with the episodic type yeah. shows and things like that. But yeah, I think where the bulk of it is, is those short, quote unquote, long forms, which is like two minutes and, you know, below. So on that note, where are you getting inspiration? Are you watching like a ton of movies and shows? Are you Netflixing and chilling a lot? I, I knowing your workload and, and how you operate, I, I know the answer to that, but <laughs> where are you, where are you going and keeping fresh? Man, I haven't watched the movie like more than two years. Like, yeah, it's wow. like, I don't know why I, I used to love going to the movies. Uh, the last movie, actually the last movie that I watched on, in the theater was Interstellar. Uh, so that was a long time. Yeah, it's been a while. And I remember it was amazing, but it was so loud. Like some of the movie theaters, they're like just too much to me. Like sometimes I I like seeing things and hearing things, but sometimes when it's so loud, I I, I lost a little bit of like the perception of things, you know? Uh, yeah, it's a powerful sound system, but sometimes people need a little bit more like a dynamics, you know, they need the silence and they need things should be loud, but not like make your ears bleed. But I love loud music, but when I, I am controlling it, I want to like, I'll make it loud for that song and then I'll bring it back on my own terms. So, so when you get a, when you get a project that's, you know, a little more abstract from a brief standpoint, where do you start in in terms of brainstorming? Uh, so lately I have been going to a lot of, uh, underground events in LA, uh, underground music, uh, st stuff that work that starts at 1am and ends at 6, 7am. And that's lunchtime for you. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And usually it's in a dirty warehouse. And when you get there, you get amazed with all these artists, they pop up at night and they create this landscape for that night, like uh, lights and the music and everything connected together. And that's where I get a lot of uh, the ideas nowadays uh, from those events. It's very creative driven. Uh, the music is nothing that we hear on a daily basis. It's usually like uh, uh, DJs and, and uh, artists from all over the world. It's not just from here. Uh, some people bring analog synthesizers and they just like play live. They create everything live on the spot. Uh, sometimes you have 3d mapping projections. So, you know, people are thinking about, and that is 
is their creative outlet testing, if you will, with the public, a, a public that will like uh, appreciate what they're doing, you know, at night. It's not just people going to an installation and they just go that, oh, this is cool. I could have done it better, you know, like people being dismissive or, but in reality, I think they're just jealous, you know, but uh, these people are just doing it. Doesn't matter if it is good or not. They're trying things. And sometimes I go in there and I just get in awe with all this, these ideas that I get from just being there. You know? So that's, that's been my, my way of seeking for, uh, uh, inspiration lately. That's great. Are there, is there anybody else in terms of just, uh, outside of that? Are there, are there, you know, filmmakers or artists, you know, in the greater world, maybe some folks be specific. So some folks could maybe go and look those up. Yeah. I, uh, lately I've been talking with a few artists, but some people that kind of inspire me are the guys that are like, just keep doing stuff like, uh, people, uh, he's an amazing guy. And, uh, is an inspiration not just because of his work, but because the way the person that he is, uh, such a humble guy. He doesn't care about what anyone is talking about his work. He's doing what he wants to do. He's like kind of like the true artist, uh, and like music in general inspires me in different ways. Uh, I I listen to so much new stuff that I cannot even name what I like anymore. Um, but I also keep my roots. I listen to death metal a lot, napalm, death, carcass. And then I obviously listen to my, uh, good old bag of death or Iron Maiden, um, that kind of stuff just to keep me uh, remembering where I came from, you know? And cause I got my skills from them, you know, my, I had to learn to play first, then I could execute what I want to execute later. You know? So speaking of inspiration, what would be your dream project? Like if you could sort of just dictate whatever you'd want to do, what would be that dream? Well, it's this uh, thing that I'm talking about, uh, this live set uh, that uh, I would play with other musicians and would be in the middle of a room and uh, not because I think the concept of stage is old. It's like you're going to a cult in a way. Everybody's looking to the stage, I want to do something that people are looking at each other and they are in all and they're in a, in a ambience that they feel part of it. Not, they're not there. They're just being there. They're part of what is happening. And um, so my idea is to have something that is in the center stage, not a stage at the level of, of everyone else. They can get to my face and see what I'm doing. You know, I'm not sec secretive about anything. Um, and then that with the surround sound. So it feels great when, when like you can be in any position and it sounds great. And also surround visuals and lights all being controlled by us in the middle, you know, um, that'll be my dream project. And uh, I'm, uh, I've been working on it for about a year now on my own. And uh, I'm almost ready to start like farming up for some uh, friends to help out with visuals and also maybe some robotics for lights and cool. that kind of stuff. So we got to come out. I mean, we're inviting ourselves yeah, right now. We'll be there. Oh, you guys will be there for sure. Uh, awesome. It, awesome. It's going to be in a dirty warehouse in LA at 2 AM. You guys better drink some, some uh, energy beverages. <laughs> Is there any other kind of warehouse in LA? <laughs> <laughs> Man, if you go to the West side, they're all clean. 
But here in downtown, they're okay. all like a little. It's getting better now. It's getting gentrified, unfortunately, and fortunately in some ways. But uh, the Soho House is opening here in downtown now, and like you know, things are changing. Um, but yeah, that that would be like my my dream. I I wouldn't say like my dream thing. I I don't. That is a goal that I have. I want to reach that goal, and then from there, I'm sure it's gonna take me just to someplace else, you know, I'm going to have yeah. different goals from that. All right, Roger, that that's all great info. Now we get to the meat of our show, which is the creative house. And if you've listened to this, basically it's utilitarian in nature. We want to provide the audience the information for when they turn this podcast off, that they can go and start on the path of becoming a sound designer or a, you know, a music composer. Can you give us some tips? Those three to four things to get started. Yeah. Uh, when I started, I really struggled with finding uh, what would be the thing that would make me stand out as a, as a sound designer. Um, but it took me a while, but now I think I realized that there's no such thing as standing out everywhere. You stand out to a certain group of people or to a certain brand. So the first thing to me was to quickly realize that I was not going to be able to please everyone. And that was really important for me to be more comfortable working and doing what I do. You know, some people are not going to like it and that's perfectly okay. You know? Uh, so that's one of them. It's a great one. The other thing is like, it took me a while also to develop a taste curation thing because, uh, music and sounds, uh, you can be the most technical guy, know all about levels and like be perfect on, on the on the technical aspects. But if you don't have good taste, it's all useless, you know. Uh, I'm still trying to develop my taste for sound. So that's why I have been listening to a lot of different stuff, a lot of different music, a lot of different uh, environments. And uh, that is what shapes my tastes nowadays, the combination of things. And uh, I don't know, it's, it's a tricky one because sometimes your taste is, is also going to differ from what other people like. But, but most of the times, if you trust that you have good taste, uh, I think uh, things will be okay. Because if people got to you at that point, it's because they also are in tune the same wavelength with you as far as like uh, the taste goes. So, um, is sometimes taste is more important than the skills in, in, in my opinion, you know? Great. Solid. And, uh, I used to think that the more I had, the more things I would be able to create and the easier it would be. And that is not the truth at all. Uh, right now I am like eliminating so much like equipment, plugins and all this stuff that, I've had it because I was so excited about like, oh, this sounds great. I can implement this into my workflow. And you use it once and then you forget about it. And uh, I'm trying to simplify my life. And I mean, sometimes if you need something extra, you've got to do a research, uh, your research and find that something that you need. But it, you're not, you don't need to go out and get everything in order to, to create something. You can, can create something with very little and still be very powerful and very specific to what you want to do. So uh, in this case, I think less is more, um, you know, and it, I mean, 
nowadays it's so easy to get lost in a, in a bundle of plugins and try every single sound. But that makes you like, it gets you away from your uh, original idea and it kind of like inf infects in a, your brain with this little sounds that they were not there originally. Uh, and then you, you lose yourself in it sometimes, you know, if, if someone is interested in pursuing this, is there an, like an entry level package that you would recommend? Yeah. I mean, any of this, um, digital audio workstations, they come loaded with plugins already. And my, my recommendation would be just learn that with the plugins that comes with the, let's say pro tools, uh, Like right now, I'm using mostly the, of the plugins that comes just with Pro Tools. And uh, for two reasons, uh, I have to have three workstations. One that I work on it all the time. One is my laptop and another one that is the backup workstation. So uh, everything is backed, out, backed up in the cloud. So if everything catches on fire here, I don't give a shit. I can buy a laptop, go to the cloud, download everything, and it's all there. Um, so the more simple things are, the easiest is going to be for you to get back to where you were, you know, uh, and, uh, fortunately I never lost a project, uh, that I had to do that, but, uh, I'm keeping that as my, my main thing. Like I gotta keep things simple, you know, and it doesn't mean that you don't get to like splurge one time and use a lot of things in your project, but you don't have to do that it's not mandatory to have everything to do something. You just mentioned something that made me think of a question. So the whole backing up things, but also you haven't lost a project. What, what are some of the biggest mistakes that you've ever made? Um, it was not versioning things. Sometimes it was back in the day. I would like just, uh, save things and then, Oh, like, Oh shit. But that other take, I liked it and I like, cannot get back there. And that was years ago. Uh, Learn, still learning how to use things. But nowadays, like nowadays, uh, I have a, a setup and system that it backs up every two minutes. Uh, so if there's something that I feel like it, I need to get back to it. It's really easy. Yeah. That's a painful, that's a painful lesson to learn, especially if, if it's, if money's riding on it, right. for sure. One final thing I kind of want to touch on, would you recommend observation of films that like you mentioned that All the ambient, everything you listen to in feature films, in shows, that's all post-production and it's layer upon layer of ambient fake noise, basically. Um, would you really recommend like people paying extreme close attention to that and breaking that down and maybe reverse engineering into a scene of their own? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, as a matter of fact, I used to do that back in the day just so I, I know that I could just so I knew that I could uh, achieve this similar results. Yeah. It seems like it'd be great practice. It is. And, uh, and then you realize that details are like the, the, the things that will make you not be noticed. You know, like when you see everything with great detail, you're not going to be like, Oh, look at this little detail. Look at this little detail. You're going to look, be looking at the whole piece, you know? Yeah. You don't want to over polish. I think that's once you, once you're there, every little bit, it's kind of a, Diminishing returns a little bit. It is, especially with sound design, because we can get like uh, really carried on, like doing every single footstep or everything, every single basketball hit. You know, you got to pay attention what is in the foreground, what is in the background, and you got to make the things that are, are 
at play at the moment shine uh everything else is just like our vision with focus is something and everything else is blurry you know and the same with sound just focus with your ears kind of in a way that's great advice that is great advice well roger this has been awesome i feel like yeah the nuance of what you do is is really really interesting and it's sort of uh Amazing how you do it. And uh, we really appreciate you being here. Can you tell everybody where to find you? Yeah, uh, you can find me at whitenoiselab.com. That's my home. <laughs> uh, I'm in LA and Los Angeles, uh, but everything is in my site, all the information you need. And uh, if you want to look at some quick projects, you can go on, on Instagram at uh, WNLab. And uh, also, if you see me in LA in the streets, uh, just stop me and let's go get a beer or something. And uh, I'll be happy to show you some cool places here in LA and some restaurants, bars, coffee shops, and like underground parties, yeah. installations, all of that. <laughs> and, and we know, seriously, you mean it, folks. He means it. He's, he's one of the nicest guys. Um, also, I, I think we mentioned it. And if you stick around in the episode, you get the shout out at the end. You get the ad for White Noise Lab. But all our music for our podcast done by Roger. Thank you again. We uh, always try to thank you as much as we can because we love it. It's it's a huge factor in our show and, and uh, you know, you've helped refine some things here and there. So again, you've been a, a great friend of Creative How and helped launch this thing. So we owe you that as well. You don't owe me nothing, man. I do it with no expectations. I just like to help. And uh, you guys have been very important to me as well. Uh, like uh, one of the greatest... Uh, opportunities that I ever had. It was like when you guys brought me on board. Well, it's been fun watching your career uh, career progress. I'm sure it's going to go even higher. Looking for that Academy Award. It's going to happen. Yeah. We'll see. We'll see. <laughs> All right, man. Take care. Thanks, guys. Thank you, bud. Jed, this is another one of those professions where if you don't get noticed, that's the win. Yeah, that was a cool uh, takeaway. And I actually didn't expect it. Um, I also thought that the comments about taste and developing taste, which in Roger's case means like listening to every kind of music possible and um, literally different sounds and observing them. I thought that was really cool. It seems like he really has to push boundaries in terms of that taste level and, and continue to find new and unexpected things. As always, folks, uh, check out the show notes that'll be up at creativehowpodcast.com and follow us on Instagram and Twitter at creativehowpod. Ratings and reviews, Sean. Don't forget about that. We want them to rate these very highly and review them with glowing commentary. Hugely important, folks. Smash the like. Hey, Jed, did you hear our kick-ass intro music? Shockingly, that's out of our technical wheelhouse here at Creative How. That type of sick sound design is a White Noise Lab original. White Noise Lab is a music composition and sound design studio that works with agencies, production companies, and brands on projects for film, broadcasts, interactive websites, corporate videos, video games, and experimental projects. The chances that that movie trailer you just saw on you know, YouTube that's probably a White Noise Lab original more often than not. So whether you're looking to fulfill your sound design needs or simply need someone to collaborate with on an experimental project or 
maybe an experimental podcast, check out whitenoiselab.com. That's whitenoiselab.com.